first Easter was a difficult, sad day for the disciples. Now it's true that a few of the women were very excited. They had found the tomb of Jesus wide open and an angel that had said he had risen. And some of them did report that they had actually seen Jesus. But honestly, if you had not seen it, would you have believed their story? I'm afraid that I probably would not have believed it. So most of the disciples are huddled up in what is probably the upper room, grief-stricken, guilty, and afraid. That's right. The Church of Jesus Christ began with a group of frightened people in a second-story room in Jerusalem, afraid. Fear is a very powerful thing in our lives. It serves as a constant reminder of how fragile, limited, and human we all really are. And the disciples were afraid. Their most courageous act was to get up and lock the door. Some looked out the window, some stared down at the floor, but they all looked inside themselves. Haunting their memories were the promises they had made and not kept. When the Roman soldiers came, they fled. All of their declarations of devotion lay shattered and broken at Gethsemane's gate. We really don't know where they went when they left, but we do know that they couldn't shake him, and they came back. The doors were shut tight. Shut tight on Easter evening because Easter was not joyous, but scary. Easter was not an obvious celebration, but a weird kind of threat. Would the authorities be coming for them next? The doors were shut for safety, shut in fear, shut in order to hide. And it is almost ludicrous, the picture, the people of Jesus shut behind closed doors, hoping no one would notice, bother, or harm them. Sometimes we feel the need to lock the doors of our lives. And even though this story confronts us with the truth that the power and the possibility of the resurrected Jesus is always able to find us, the main point of this story is not the locked shut doors. This is only the stage setting. The very next phrase gets us into the action and it happens in verse 19. Then Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. It took three quick verbs. He came, he stood, he said. Someone looked at the door. It was still locked. Now we don't know how he got there, how he penetrated behind the shut locked doors. The doors were intended to keep people out, but Jesus came and disrupted their safe hiding. It was a moment the apostles would never forget. It was a story they would never cease to tell. The stone of the tomb was not enough to keep him in, and the walls of the room were not enough to keep him out. As soon as Jesus arrives, he takes over. He takes over that meeting, he dominates the room. Nobody else gets a chance to talk, not even to say a word. Jesus is alive, and his presence changes things. It always does. Now, 
I am always, always surprised, every Easter I think about this, I'm always surprised at who Jesus comes to see after resurrection. Now, if it were me, I would be waking up Pontius Pilate at 1 a.m. You know how when your kids sometimes, you know, they come in your room and they've had a bad dream or they're sick and they come right to your room at 2 in the morning and they put their face right in front of yours about 2 inches. I know your moms have, some of you moms have done this. And, you know, they have their face right here and you, oh, you feel something breathing on you and you open your eyes and they nearly scare you to death. I would have done that to Pontius Pilate. <laughs> the minute Pontius Pilate opened his eyes... I'd say boo. <laughs> I would have appeared to Caesar in Rome, and when he got up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, there I'd be handing him his bathrobe. <laughs> I would have walked into those Jewish leaders on the Sanhedrin and said, guess what? I'm back. But Jesus doesn't do any of that. Jesus has come here because these are his people. He has come to his new resurrected life. And what he does first with his new life is to seek out his people who are in hiding. He has four things to say to them that they need to hear. There are only four things that only Jesus can say. And once those things are said to them and to us, they can never be unsaid. We cannot pretend that they weren't said or that we didn't hear it. These four assertions have decisively changed the life of the church. So this morning, here are the four statements from Jesus for you. And when you hear them, I hope that you are never, ever the same again. First, Jesus comes to the cowering church and he says in verse 19, peace be with you. He came and he stood in the middle of all that fear and worry and guilt and grief. And the Bible uses the phrase in the mist, in the mist. So if he came here this morning, he wouldn't be up here with me. He would be right there in the middle of this room, gathering in all that fear and grief and worry and guilt into himself. And so there he stood with the disciples, taking all of that in. And they check him out at his invitation. They come and they touch his hands on his side. And most of us need that concrete, tangible experience to make us closer to resurrected life because it's the things that we see, the things that we feel, the things that we experience that make faith real to us. And so the disciples come and they check him out. Yeah, it's him. It is really Jesus, he's the real guy. And then Jesus says a second time, peace be with you. That is the first word of the powerful Christ to the fearful church. Now, the phrase is uh, just a Jewish greeting, shalom, and it's often translated in our modern language as hi, hello. However, it means so much more. Hebrew words convey feeling, intent, and emotion. So it means complete peace, harmony, wealth, wholeness, tranquility. 
The word on Jesus' lips is a powerful word. Claiming the space, setting the agenda, redefining reality. This Jesus who says the word actually comes and brings the peace. He is like the person you trust the most in the world. When that person enters the room, that person's very presence reshapes the room and makes it different. Peace is a word spoken to us by Jesus against all the storms and darkness in our lives. It is a word of assurance, announcing a new order that comes along with the power of Jesus. It's also used as a verb that conquers all the things that counter peace in your life. This morning, what steals the peace in your life? Hostility, fearfulness, anxiety, restlessness, all those things are no longer true. They were true without Jesus, but they are not true with the one who has stood against death and now reigns. He has prevailed, and the new word is peace. Life begins again at a different place. It begins with a new kind of healing, a kind of healing that many of us here today need. Now Jesus says secondly, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. Now the coming of Jesus is not just a nice little warm presence. It's not just there to comfort us. It is a mission. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. Now, I'm not sure what you hear in these words, but most of all, I want you to take a moment this morning and stop and listen and just feel the honor of that. How it's almost like being knighted by Jesus chosen to go with him and for him to be with him on his adventure. And Jesus is talking to each of us today. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. The entry of Jesus into the book of Acts explodes the church on mission, creating energy and vitality and resolve and courage and passion that the world needs to know. An alternative to our old way of life is now given in Jesus' new life. And this sent church is busy turning the world right side up. The problem with the fearful church is that it thinks it is no longer sent. The church has forgotten its call. It has become an end in itself, a resting place, a beautiful achievement. I asked a teaching friend at UC where he was going to go on his sabbatical, and he answered in astonishment, what? Go, but I'm here. So here we are, all safe, well-fed, affluent, complacent. All of that, however, is countered by the words of the risen Jesus, I send you. Now, if you are not sure if you are called and sent by Jesus, I will make it easy for you this morning. You can consider yourself called and sent unless you hear otherwise. If you want that full piece of Jesus, then you must accept the sending of Jesus. Jesus is sending you to share and to be generous and caring, 
Jesus is sending all the disciples, all those baptized in his name, all who share his life, all to the same place. As the Father has sent me, so send I you in the midst of the world's business and commerce and politics and universities and governments and all the daily stuff of real life into friendships and conflicts and great works of reconciliation which can sometimes leave scars on your heart. God sent Jesus into the middle of all that. Even so, he says, I am sending you to all the people in need, to all the people God loves, and God loves all the people. Now this, of course, is an odd notion in our affluent consumerism, where we imagine that we are sort of an end in ourselves, but in the presence of Jesus, we become aware that we are the means of a bigger part of God's big picture. Today, each of us must rethink the sending of Jesus, how we will go and where we will go. The third thing that Jesus said is to receive the Holy Spirit. It is a promise from the risen Jesus to the fearful church. And a scared world needs a fearless church. Now, the Holy Spirit thing is kind of tricky among us. There's so many freakish little suggestions. But taken most simply, the Holy Spirit refers to the intruding, invasive, energizing power from God that comes like the wind to blow us beyond ourselves to take action, to dream big, to dream bigger, to run risks that in our accustomed powerlessness are well beyond us. The Holy Spirit helps us to go to the edge of our comfort zone and take one more step because that's where real faith happens. The assurance of Jesus is that the wind of God will blow us to freedom and courage in spite of our fearfulness. And it is a good thing that, the, that Jesus gave the Holy Spirit right after he said he was sending us because our answer to the sending might have been, well, I can't go. I, I really don't want to go. I don't have any passion. I don't have any energy. Or what people say when they really don't want to do something, you ask them as, well, I don't think the, the Spirit's leading me there. You know, Jesus knows that about us. Left to our own terms, given our own resources, we are not going anywhere that matters. The church has never gone anywhere important under its own steam. So ponder this day that you are subject to the winds of God. You are subject to the power of God that can move you beyond yourself to go where Jesus sends you, to do what God intends for you to do with your life. Now, whenever one acts on the basis of God's power, the world calls it a miracle. And of course, it is a miracle. And you are candidates for the power to do miracles, to go beyond yourself and your intent, to do all of God's healing in this work. Listen. Listen, because you will hear the spirit wind blowing. It's blowing in the Ukraine. It's blowing in Turkey and Mexico and Washington. It's blowing in Congress and Cincinnati and Westchester. It's blowing in families and communities and churches that want to begin again with a new kind of life. 
The wind of God is promised to us by the risen one who will never accept our fearful lethargy. And it is Jesus who says to us, expect to be visited and summonsed and authorized and surprised beyond your usual self. And the words of my favorite TV show, The Chosen, get used to different. Jesus says finally, if you are able to forgive sins, they are forgiven. If you refuse to forgive, they are retained. Did you hear that? What does it say? You are going to be forgiving sin. Wait, what, really? Did you notice that? You are powered with the business of forgiveness. Forgiveness is what the world craves and fears. The world cannot forgive itself. Forgiveness must come from the large heart of God enacted in the world by us. So Jesus gives the church fresh work. To forgive is to break the vicious cycle of death by a fresh act of utter generosity. Forgiveness is not play acting, not romantic religion, not just a casual hug. It is a decision to begin again at a different place. But how do we do that? How can we do that? Oscar Schindler may never be made a saint by the Catholic Church. Schindler drank and swore and fooled around with women and loved to make lots of money off people's cheap labor. He owned a factory that made pots and pans in Poland. He benefited financially from the war effort and was a member of the Nazi party. Yet, despite his verbal denials to everyone, including himself, he used his factory as a haven for Jews. The Nazi army occupied Poland and was systematically practicing genocide to rid Poland and the rest of Europe from the Jewish people. Schindler used all his tricks, all his powers of persuasion, and all his money to save 1,100 Jews from the gas chamber in Auschwitz. Today, there are 9,000 Jews alive who are descendants of those 1,100. In Schindler's List, the Academy Award-winning film about this human tragedy, Mr. Schindler hears that in the concentration camp in which the factory workers and all the Jews must live, there is a horrible commander who kills people. He kills without remorse and without reason. He is indiscriminate and cruel. And Schindler goes to him and wines and dines him and gets him drunk, and then he does his very best to persuade the commander that there is more power in pardoning than in killing. And Jesus said, if you forgive any of the sins, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. There is power in pardoning. There is power in forgiveness. There is power in peace. There is power in life. There is power in your life. We are commissioned by the Lord and the waters of our baptism. God sends you and me out into the community and to the world to plant seeds of peace that benefit today's generation and tomorrow's children. The news is not just that God forgives, but that God has created a people to have as its main single business in the world, 
to do the forgiveness of sin, the cancellation of debt, the breaking of power of fear and hate and death in order to start again. Imagine being behind closed doors and then to have Jesus come among us. And this is what he said, peace, a new shape of life I give you. You cannot just sit around. You will get power to go beyond yourself, to forgive, to break the cycle of death and give people a new chance, a new life. Jesus is a gate crasher. And you may have the doors of your life locked for safety and in fear. And then if you do, these four words are especially for you today because the doors of safety and fear cannot withstand God's power for new life. No wonder when Jesus said these four things, a church was born. A new people in the world. And when you really, really hear those words, you will not be the same. Not ever. Because Jesus has come and taken over the shape of your life. And you can never undo that. Resurrection is a process for each of us. A turning, a striving, a stirring. Perhaps it is as much to do about how we are moving forward as where we end up. Resurrection has to do with being called forth from all kinds of hiding, betrayal, anger, fear, shame, whatever it is for you. Resurrection begins whenever one heart opens to another, wherever goodness triumphs over evil. Jesus understood our need for presence. The same one who washed feet, broke bread, and ate with strangers, comes to the disciples telling them to be at peace and commissioned them with the power of the Holy Spirit. Into their fear he comes despite locked doors, disbelief, and hiding. And he comes to us because nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God found in Jesus. Not our doubts, not our fears, not our grief. The good news is that whatever the reason we remain hiding behind closed doors is that the power and the possibility of the resurrected Christ is always able to find us in our darkest places and carry us to the light of day. In these little rooms here in this building that we call church, he meets us together for a moment. The doors are closed, mostly to keep out the weather and the noise, but in many ways, we too are closed, maybe a little afraid of the people we don't know, or afraid of what some people might think of our faith commitments, or afraid we might have to change certain things about our life. Maybe my doors are too closed. Maybe your doors are clo too closed as well. Even so, he stands in the middle of this room today and with infinite kindness says, peace be with you, faith community. But not just here. Above all, as God has sent me with a word of peace to the world, I am sending you here to do that also. Christ has a peace to impart that we cannot fully experience inside these walls. He has met us here to send us out into our real world relationships to our homes, to our workplaces, to our schools, and to a mission field that's far away 
and a mission field that's just outside the door. As is Easter people, it's time to unlock the door. Pray with me, my friends.